Do you like wrestling? Do you like debating wrestling with others? Do you like being told if a wrestling match is a classic? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Is It a Classic, where me, Chad, and my best friend Daniel watch a match in wrestling history and determine definitively, definitively, without question, we are the authorities, whether or not that match was in fact a classic. Today, we are reviewing Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar at No Way Out 2004 for the World Heavyweight Championship of the World. We got a lot to cover, so let's dive in. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. This is not a wrestling match! Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another Is It a Classic podcast, the podcast where we take a look at classic sponsorships in wrestling history. We're talking your Snickers. We're talking your Oh By God Skittles. Juicy, fruity, juicy Skittles. Uh, we're talking your Slim Jims. Step into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh, the sponsor of this week, Hefty. Hefty Trash Bags. Trash Bags, ladies and gentlemen. I think it might be a little too soon for that one. Uh, we'll just assume you're talking about John Cena's nice little Hefty commercials that he did. But I would be remiss if I didn't also agree that my favorite sponsorship, and I'm going to throw in my little JR impression, was Birdie, Birdie, Skittles! That was a good one. Uh, that one worked out for him, unlike you know Subway, which didn't work out too well with Jared Fogle in the crowd. Uh, yikes. Uh, anyways, uh, I think instead of sponsorships, uh, we got our impressions out of the way. Maybe we should talk about a match in wrestling history and determine definitively if it is a classic. And this week, it was my choice, my choice, which was Brock Lesnar, Bork Laser, as some people know him, Versus Eddie Guerrero at No Way Out 2004. I can't wait to talk about this one. I know that I've seen that match several times, but I would say, I would venture to say it's been over a decade since I actually sat down and watched it. So great choice. That'll be a good one we can really dive into. Another good choice. I think we should start just, if we say the word choice, we should say it like that. I mean, we do half the time anyway, so just choice choice the people's choice the people's choice uh i i guarantee uh about zero people will get that reference there will be two and that is you and me yeah i'm hoping you can really do a ton of homework there and somehow uncover that for an audio clip i i highly doubt it i don't think i'm even gonna try i think it's good to just leave that in the ether and then have this like one and a half minutes after talking about the thing that no one knows about that's that's good podcasting right sure all right well let's ask uh i don't know fifteen thousand people should we talk about this past week in wrestling All right, 15,000 people have spoken. There were those two in the crowd that were uh, not participating, but, you know, we all hate them. So uh, those are the schmoes of the week this week. I'm sure. 15,000 people can't be wrong, Michael. 
Oh my God. All right. Uh, why don't you kick us off? Tell, tell us about uh, what sticks out in your mind from the past week. Where do you want to go? You want to go to the AEW? You want to go to the double-double? Double-double. Mm, I'm going to quickly sound off and hope that you concur. The WWE is in close to unwatchable territory right now. So I think we should uh, brighten this thing up. Let's have a little fun here and let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about AEW. Okay. Yeah, we can definitely do that. I thought for a second you were going to talk about Braun Strowman's hairline as he's finally growing some hair, but we'll save that a little tease for the future. All right. AEW. I thought it was a, very fun show. Another fun show. Uh, it wasn't necessarily as good as the previous week, but I thought there was a lot of stuff that really tied it together that made it an, another entertaining show. Uh, like I don't think that there's been anything less than a thumbs up show in a while there. Uh, really, though, I think the thing that stands out, there were two things that stood out in my mind. The one for me, uh, which stuck with me the whole show, was Ricky Starks almost dying. Uh, on that German suplex where he landed directly on his head, but actually hurt his foot, which was which was unfortunate. And then uh, I was thinking about you in the show because I saw this great pinnacle promo, and all I could see was Sean Spears had dyed his hair back black. Yeah, what a cuckold response to Jericho's promo by going and fixing your hair. Oh, man, it just gets better and better for Mr. Spears. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. Um, but overall, uh, to touch on some things that I really liked, uh, the opening match was solid with Hangman and Ricky Starks. Hangman Page continues to be a highlight of the show every week, and I'm glad they have him on the show every week. Yeah, and how about Dynamite just throwing the heat of fastball right down the middle on these openers week after week? I mean, that was a great match, and I think one of the best parts of it was Taz on commentary. He refrained a little bit from the potty mouth. But he was really paying attention to his guy, and he kept pointing out things that Ricky was doing or slight injuries or the possibilities of things going wrong that was happening with Starks that I don't think the casual viewer would see. But Taz was paying so close attention to his guy, and he was given a really cool kind of alternate perspective than the rest of the announcers, and I thought it added to the match a lot. Uh, Adam Page firing on all cylinders. This was really good. It was cool that both guys had such uh, great singles records going into this match. I am officially ready for Adam Page to be in a legitimate program, though, coming out of this. Well, I think that they are definitely building towards Page and Kenny Omega, you know, to meet for the title based off of everything that happened in their history and the history with him and the Young Bucks. And you get a Dark Order and and Elite or Bullet Club, whatever you want to call it, um, confrontation. So I think they I think think they're getting there. I think they're doing a nice slow build to get there because I don't think their next show is. Until well, I think their sh- next show is supposed to be Double or Nothing over Memorial Day weekend, but we'll, uh, which is about a month away. But you know, we'll see where they go and how they get there. Isn't it awesome how much you're probably like me anticipating a pay per view show rather than just expecting it to come every couple of weeks? I mean, I am genuinely ready for their next pay per view outing. I'm going to purchase it simply because they've been putting on great show after great show with some hits and misses. But they're building anticipation. I want to shell out some money and see, you know, what their best stuff is. And they leave enough time to let it breathe and leave us wanting just enough more. They sure do. Uh, real quick on Taz, 
it's fun, interesting. We got to hear Taz on commentary on Dynamite. We're going to get to hear him on commentary on the match later today. One thing that you missed during the beginning of the pandemic shows, Taz was actually sending doing voiceovers where they were doing like, this is Taz's wrestling breakdown of the week. And he'd break down somebody's big move or like the end of a match and do like a, almost like a, a UFC fight breakdown or like a, you know, a, a special NFL analyst breakdown. So that led into that's all built into who Taz is as a commentator, not only when he commentates on dark, but when he gets in and he just happens to have his people to focus on. So that's, so that's really good for him. Uh, one other thing, a couple of things I want to mention. Um, I am starting to like Pinta less and less, you know, I, I didn't necessarily like the finish of that match. The match was okay, but Pinta is just no selling and he's really been the king of no sell. I don't like that. I will give him credit though. Him having the hand sign of the, Sierra uh, Mierdo on the on the back of his shirt was a kind of a nice touch for his uni. I certainly enjoyed him kicking the shit out of Orange Cassidy in the back of the head when Orange was trying to do his shtick, which I believe has gotten stale at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, Penta. It seems like it's a no sell. Also, like he doesn't even sell with his facial expressions or anything. It's like the outsiders playing cool heels all the time and making everybody look bad because it looks like they just don't care. Yeah, I think he gets away with that in Mexico, but uh, it doesn't have a good spot here, especially when Ray Phoenix and Pac, you know, in the same sort of faction, do such a great job of selling and their facials and things like that. Other good things on the show um, before we get to what was probably the best part of the show, um, you know, uh, Ty Conti and Hikaru Shida had a great women's match. They continue to AEW which was bashed for the amount of women's wrestling on its television continues to deliver with some great women's wrestling. You know, it was the highest rated segment of the show, most viewers and, and it deserved it. It was a great match. Uh, Ty Conti is really making herself into a star, I think, and getting better week in and week out. Uh, Christian Will Hobbs was, was solid in there as well. Uh, I thought that there was a better match than the Kazarian match. I just, I love Will Hobbs. I, I love the way that he uses his power, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I see something in him. I see something in him. And, uh, I think it's, uh, I think he's got something. I, I just do. I did think that Hobbs did very well. That's got to be probably the biggest star he's ever had a showcase singles match with. Um, he worked very well. They had a really good match. Um, I don't know that Hobbs is really ready for TV yet. Um, I am glad that he put a shirt on. Um, but no, he did really well and they had a fun match and the women's match was awesome. I never truly believed that Ty Conti could win. And so, you know, it was hard for me to get into the near falls, but they worked their asses off. And so, like you said, there's a lot of momentum rolling in the women's division. And it looks like we're headed right into a Britt Baker program, which I think is going to bode really well for the fans and for AEW. Yeah, Britt Becker is definitely the star of the division. She's the most defined character. She's the best on promos. She's also the one getting the most TV time because of it. So uh, I think she's definitely definitely the top of that division from a, from a star standpoint. Uh, Darby Allen Jungle Boy was a good match, as you would ex- expect. Uh, but if you don't have anything to say on that, I think really the key, the top thing, the best thing on the show was that pinnacle promo. MJF is just on fire. You know, they had the the Wardlow one liner in there to to get on Jericho about messing up, which was which was fun. But 
Uh, MJF was there. He was flying. You know, he cranked up the heat at the exact time where he got super intense. He even had a little bit of spit fly. And, you know, normally when you see that piece of spit, it stays there. But no, no, MJF is a professional, and that spit went went away. He noticed it and got it out of there. So uh, A-plus promo almost just for that. But they continue to deliver and build to blood and guts each week. And like, this is, this is how you build a show. They're putting all their eggs in one basket with a one match show with blood and guts, which will be a week from the day that this drops. And they are peaking at the right times, unless on the show that's coming up, you know, tonight or tonight from when this episode drops, they don't do anything for blood and guts and just do a video package, which do they do sometimes if they do that bad, but if they continue to have one last promo or confrontation, that'll be great. And it should be a monster rating. I'm excited for it. I'm very excited for it. Also, I think uh, for those of you who are listening to the show and don't really keep up with the current product all that much, if we're going to stick our neck out and give a recommendation, give you a jump off point, some way to get involved and maybe give AEW a try. I hope that you'll give them a try when it's blood and guts time uh, two weeks from now. That promo, I agree, from MJF was just effortless. Um, I really hope there's more to that. Oftentimes when Jim Ross would do sit-down segments for the WWF in the past, um, they might be stretched out over a few weeks. Um, he would certainly have more than one question. Um, so it looked like maybe everybody sitting down there would have more to say, and they're going to maybe save some of that for the big build show next week. Um, but, yeah, MJF, I mean, he was smooth as silk. He was money. Wardlow was so good because he called out Jericho's line without being so heavy handed about it and just spelling it out explicitly. You would have had to have watched it last week for it to really hit home like he would have wanted. And so for those of us that did, it really was just awesome. Um, I will say what a mistake it was for Jericho to then come out with the inner circle and then trash the promo as if it wasn't any good because you couldn't be any further off base. And then Jericho's promo was terrible. It just seemed like Jericho trotting himself out there, uh, coming up with something to say on the fly, which sometimes can be great. And that is one of the great things about AEW and their differences with the double double E. I love double double E. But in this case, it didn't work out so well, although Santana's promo was very good. Yeah, I thought that I agree with you. I thought that Jericho was just trying to go too fast too. like, it seems like face Jericho just has all these things in his mind, but he's getting amped up and he's going and going and going. I'm talking without breathing. I'm talking without breathing. Things are just popping my head. I'm just going to spit them out and I'm going to spit them out and you're going to hear me. I'm going to get you amped up. The crowd's going to cheer. The crowd's going to cheer. And I'm going to say something weird. I'm going to say something else weird. And then I'm going to go back on it, but then I'm going to still get you up and say blood and guts, baby. Like that, that uh, seems to be how he's doing his promos as this face. And so he needs to just calm it down, slow it down. I did laugh at him being like, oh, MJ- MJF, you don't let anyone else in your group talk. And then he lets all everyone in his group talk for the first time. Like we rarely hear from anyone other than him. And he's like, see, look what a benevolent leader I am that you aren't for the first time. So that made me chuckle a little bit and felt a little, it felt a little insincere in it. And it almost it like dropped the inner circle stock a little bit. But I mean, they're fine. Yeah, he ended up even kind of cutting Jake Hager off. And Jake Hager clearly had a little prop planned and a nice little one-liner that just didn't land all that much. But speaking of something that did land, tell me you caught that shout-out to Jim Ross in the Elites trailer that uh, Matt Jackson let out. Remind me. So 
they were playing up the you know full transition John Moxley is making into a Stone Cold Steve Austin knockoff, um, but he's honking the monster truck horn while they're trying to cut a promo in the back. And uh, Kenny Omega, it takes him by surprise, and he stops himself, and he's like, "Oh man, like can you guys hear that or whatever?" And Matt Jackson in the background calmly goes, "We're live, pal." It's live, pal. Yes, I did hear that. That was good. I do remember that. That was a great, a great little those little nuggets. Those are those are the inside baseball nuggets that are fun outside of like, you know, other than when people blatantly are like, Well, I'm shooting, brother. Yeah. I mean, it was a really solid show. I think you'd agree that the show was full of matches where the outcome was pretty widely known going in. There wasn't a whole lot of edge of your seat booking that was going to happen. But got to give props to AEW because we have a lot of that going on on the other side, on the, you know, with the other company. But those shows are a little harder to get through, and this is a lot more fun. Speaking of other company, great setup for a segue into WWE. And you know what? I got to give it to them. I think they actually had a good SmackDown this week. I enjoyed SmackDown. What did you think about SmackDown? Um, it was okay. Raw has me soured on the company as a whole and how things are going. But SmackDown, it's two hours. It's pretty good. It was easy to get through. Their formula seems to work pretty well. My God, there are a million commercial breaks. But, hey, how bad can SmackDown be when you have a badass three-segment tag match that just needed a little Teddy Long to spice it up and get it going in that opening segment? I wish he could have just somehow come out and give us what we wanted. But... Alas, we got a good tag match out of it anyway. Let me holler at you, player. Yeah, I, SmackDown can't be bad when you've got like Daniel Bryan and Cesaro and Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. They're all great. You know, it's almost like you're building this new SmackDown Six with these five here, if you will, uh, on top. And they're everything that they're doing is great. They're, they're it's gold. You know what I mean? I I, I think that there's. They're booking that angle specifically really well, and I don't know if that has if that's an anomaly because Daniel Bryan has a hand in it and Paul Heyman has a hand in it, and you know everything else is not them pretty much. But when they take up like forty five minutes of the show, it's going to overall be a good show. And the supplemental stuff like uh, the Mysterios versus Otis and Chad Gable was was fun. You know, um, there's another match that I'm missing that was fun. Uh, it wasn't the Tamina and Nia Jax match. match th- that everything Nia Jax does now, she's back to being. Uh, please get off my television. Oh, the Apollo Cruz, Kevin Owens stuff, and Sami Zayn with great dancing again. God, that like the most fun character on the show right now. What an amazing dancer! Yeah, uh, uh, how can you not enjoy him? He's going to turn himself babyface very quickly. You know, if they get in front of crowds starting July or whenever it's going to be. Yeah, Kevin Owens was really great in his backstage segment. The match was pretty good. Obviously, I'm not into Apollo Crews right now, and I'm really not liking uh, Commander Aziz. We already have uh, Omas on Raw, and this seems like more of the same, just with saddled with an even worse gimmick. And then there was a part in the match uh, to get heat on Aziz where he attacked Kevin Owens with the old Samoan spike, which is his move, whatever. But Kevin Owens stuns, I think he stuns Cruz, and then he gets up, so he's fine. And Aziz just grabs him, swings him outwards, looks at the crowd, yells while sticking his thumb out, and Owens just stands there and takes it. 
It was pretty lame. I got kind of down on the whole mid card at that point. And then our Lord and Savior, Sami Zayn, came in and danced like an angel and gave us the gift of us knowing that Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens feud will now continue. And that, my friends, is a whopping pound of beef and buttery mashed potatoes. Buttery mashed potatoes. Buttery mashed potatoes. That was less Booker T and more like uh, redneck at the end there. Anyways, uh, our I like our Lord and Savior, Sami Zayn. I will say it was very weird that Biggie Kevin Owens confrontation where Biggie's like, how dare you jump in line like he's coming off like they just turned him heel or something. That was really weird. But overall, SmackDown, a good show. Although, where's Edge? You know, will Edge play play in a part uh, play a part in next week's match? I don't like the I, I think it's stupid. The rush of the Daniel Bryan Roman Reigns match. That's such a huge potential match with with uh, big implications that they're just like next week. Daniel Bryan could have his career ended or win the title. Hope you tune in. We'll give you a one week build. That's like sort of out of nowhere and quick, but at least they saved it and didn't just announce it at the beginning of the show and do it at the end of the show. Yeah, I have to applaud the unpredictability. Um, that seems to be a rarity these days with the double double E sometimes, but um, you're, I mean, you have to tune in. Those stakes are as high as possible. Something tells me that they're going to wiggle their way out of that. But if not, the end result of either side of the match there would be, you know, catastrophic. Correct. And speaking of catastrophic, you are just setting me up for these segues. Raw, again, another catastrophic week. God, Raw, Raw sucked again. Oh, no. Oh, no. We suck again. Oh, no. We suck again. It was terrible. Uh, you, there's a few a few bright spots. RK Bro. I, I don't know if I'll be able to get enough RK Bro. I hope they keep that going for a little while. That was super fun, uh, their interaction together. But uh, And Braun's hair, as I talked about, it was fun just trying to figure out, Braun, why are you letting your hair grow out when you have such a weird hairline and you got a little bit of balding on top? Like, what are you doing? Remember when the Big Show did that in like 2004? He was like, I'm just going to grow it out and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It was atrocious. And it's atrocious here as well. Uh, and other than that, I mean, again, where is everyone? Where's Keith Lee? Where's where's your world tag team champions, AJ and Omos? You know, uh, where's The Fiend? Where's Bray Wyatt? What What is going on here? Why are we missing so many key players? We go from... 85 people on AEW to like 20 people on Raw. I mean, you hit it right on the head. I think the only good thing about this show was RK Bro, the fact that Randy Orton's playing ball here, uh, Riddle reaching his hand out for the tag saying, Randy! And Corey Graves' commentary basically expecting the Orton turn at any second and it not happening. Um, with that, though, um, it's time, my friend, that Raw cuts the shit. Cut the shit! There is literally nothing else worth watching on this show. Nothing. Uh, you had a jobberific entrance by Mason Teabag at the beginning. Hey, Larry! No teabagging! You know the rules. No balls on foreheads. They are absolute... They're, they're terrible. I mean, this is how you convince people to actually watch the show. 
Ron Stroman's hairline terrible. Ron Stroman yelling everything he says and explaining to the viewer and the pre the people in the nosebleed somehow uh, exactly what's going on at all times. Um, they Braun Strowman comes out and they're like, here's his accomplishment. He beat Shane McMahon at WrestleMania. They never even mentioned that he was a fucking universal champion. He has to say it himself. I mean, the opening match was literally punches, kicks and clubs for 12 minutes and then a DQ. And then Strowman's just yelling shit like you're a bullhead. I don't know if you caught that, but like it's so discombobulated. It looks like Vince McMahon came and tore up the script and then didn't get into anybody another one. And he was just like, just get out there. And I mean, we had a, a 30 minute boring comedy segment with the New Day, with Elias, with, with Miz, you know, setting up more of this bad bunny Damon Priest thing that kind of maxed out at WrestleMania, let's be honest. And then for 30 minutes, we just end with a roll up and they move on. You've got Charlotte, now the Karen of the WWE. Here comes Karen. With a terrible character. She gets no comeuppance. And even if she did, who's it going to be from? The ref? Like, who wants to see that? Who cares? Where's this going? No one cares. Seamus works his ass off, saves this show for fucking two, three months with his work. It's just badass week in and week out. And he gets awarded the U.S. title. You're like, okay, here we go. And then they're like, no. And now you get a program with Humberto Carrillo. Why? What did he do to deserve this? What What did the viewer do to deserve this show? You got Alexa Bliss playing with a doll. I mean, the fiend, if he jumped on screen and just eviscerated that doll, grabbed Alexa Bliss by the arm and was like, let's get back to business. Maybe he could save this thing, but that has to happen yesterday or this thing is over. The horrible nature of this show is just building steam and snowballing. And I don't think I can stand it anymore. Oh, great. Braun Strowman's added, added to WrestleMania backlash. Now, you know, he's going to eat the pin in three weeks. And then we start this bullshit train over. It, it's got to end. I'm going to rip my fucking eyes out. Don't watch raw and don't watch raw again until you tune into this show. And we tell you to watch raw. I love your passion. I agree with everything that you said but i i only heard about half of that because i was just thinking about braun Strowman ordering at subway i want an italian bmt on white lettuce tomatoes pickles bullhead <laughs> you're that's bullhead all, that's all i could think of i think my wife is in the other room like Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> oh, yeah. Both my kids are crying right now. Yeah. Because of me? Yes. All right. Well, I guess it's time to go to the main event of the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. All right. As mentioned before, we got a doozy this week. Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar at No Way Out 2004. For a world championship, uh, before we get into the background of the match itself, we like to remind everyone about how we actually determine definitively whether or not a match is a classic, and we do it by looking at four different categories. We start with storytelling. Did the match uh, tell a great story, something new, something different? Did, was it all cohesive? Could you understand what they were trying to put together, the chapters in the ring, um, to get to start from start to finish? 
The second one is atmosphere. How was the heat? How was the crowd? How were the announcers? How did you feel when you were watching the match? The third is execution. Was everything crisp? Were there no botches? Was everything fluid? Did anything feel funny that they were trying to do in the in the ring? Or did it, did it seem smooth and good? And then finally, the important gatekeeper category, significance. Did this change the course of wrestling history? Was it something new that we hadn't seen before? Is it something that was talked about for years for a specific reason? Did it have a significant impact or, or a specific impact on the business or things moving forward? So those are our categories. And Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about what led up to this match? So as you said before, this is a match from February 15th, 2004 at the No Way Out pay-per-view. It took place in the Cow Palace Arena in Southern California. This is Brock Lesnar, your WWE champion, taking on his challenger, Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero is in a late career surge and really in his prime run in the WWE, coming off of a release from the WWE uh, in November of 2001. Guerrero had a lot of well-documented demons and struggles with those demons, and he was sent to rehab um, in 2001, and then in November, he was arrested for DUI, and the WWE released him. Subsequently, Eddie honed his craft in the indies and we actually got a eddie guerrero versus cm punk match that you can find out there on the internet somewhere i would suggest if you haven't seen that match you actually go out and take a look at it because cm punk mentions it was pivotal to his career and so how much he learned from eddie guerrero there and it's just it's almost just a mind fuck just to see those two guys at that stage and both for both of them in their career wrestle the match they did and, you know, you can see what a star CM Punk is and you can see that Eddie Guerrero never lost it. It's so great that he didn't just feel sorry for himself and go into, you know, a worse depression. Of course, we don't know what Eddie was going through at the time, um, but he obviously kept working, honed his craft, wanted to get back in there. I can remember at the time thinking that that was probably it for Eddie and to my surprise and to all of our benefit, he returned to the company in April of 2002. And from there, he wins the Intercontinental title. He wins the newly returned United States title. And he had three different tag team title reigns, most notably with his nephew and longtime associate in several companies, Chavo Guerrero. Los Guerreros had two different reigns and he had one sandwiched in there with Tajiri, which was tons of fun. Um, Los Guerreros at that time were a part of the SmackDown 6 era that we mentioned here and there. It was just all great wrestling all the time. Edge, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, the Guerreros going at it week after week. And this had Paul Heyman's fingerprints all over it. I don't know that the WWE had ever been known for lengthy and consistent matches week after week like that, but they were in that era and it really helped elevate all of those guys. Um, speaking of Los Guerreros, their final tag team title reign together came to an end at the hands of the Basham brothers. And during that time, tensions between Chavo and Eddie started to rise. Eddie was coming out in low riders with Chavo. He had new theme music. He was really, really cementing himself as perhaps the best worker in the United States at the time and a true fan favorite. I imagine that his merchandise sales 
um, and his overall just connection with the crowd was at its height at this time. So there's a real groundswell of support for Eddie. And during this time, Chavo turns on him and you would imagine maybe that's going to be the big rivalry heading into WrestleMania. But nope, Chavo Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero have a one to nothing beatdown match at the Royal Rumble 2004, where Eddie viciously and quickly and convincingly takes out his nephew and gets ready to move on to bigger and better things. Meanwhile, um, the, at that Royal Rumble show, fellow SmackDown member that I mentioned before, Chris Benoit, wins the Royal Rumble and decides not to take on the SmackDown WWE champion Brock Lesnar, but to jump over to Raw and challenge Triple H, where he would eventually end up in a three-way match in the main event of WrestleMania 20 against Triple H and Shawn Michaels. So SmackDown is left with a little bit of a void, and they're going to be building towards a title program, but it's more of a mystery. They hold a kind of a mini Royal Rumble on SmackDown. Um, Fifteen men are going to challenge one another in a battle royal type match, and the winner is going to receive a title shot at No Way Out, which we will talk about here. Obviously, Eddie Guerrero wins that match by last eliminating Kurt Angle, and our rivalry with Brock Lesnar begins. Lesnar, though, is a little preoccupied. Um, he is right now in his third WWE Championship reign. He won this title in an Ironman match and by defeating Kurt Angle, then the champion, by a score of 5-4, to four, and this was on the September 18, 2003 episode of SmackDown. So at this point, he has been champion since September, so for several months. Lesnar defended his title numerous times, or as many as a heel can defend it, against the likes of Paul London, The Undertaker, and Chris Benoit. And during the build to Survivor Series that year, they were going to do a five-on-five traditional Survivor Series match with Team Lesnar taking on Team Kurt Angle. And Lesnar got confronted by a returning Bob Holly, which about a year prior to the Survivor Series, Brock Lesnar had an infamous match with on SmackDown where rumors would fly that he felt like Bob Holly might have been sandbagging and not doing what he needed to do to work the match properly. And Brock let him know it by dropping him on his neck during a powerbomb and breaking Holly's neck. Holly was out for an entire year. And during the Survivor Series this year, is where Holly returns and kind of reignites a bit of a rivalry that had been obviously brewing and wants to go for revenge against Lesnar. Uh, Angle's team ends up winning the match, and Brock Lesnar gets himself even deeper into trouble that night as well by letting it be known in a backstage interview that he fears no man and then having to come face-to-face with Bill Goldberg. They have an intense stare down and plant the seeds for an issue that will continue to blossom. Bob Holly ends up challenging Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble that year in 2004 for the WWE Championship. And it's kind of a lackluster quick match. Brock is able to dispatch of Holly. And then in the Rumble match itself, he takes it upon himself to attack Bill Goldberg in the middle of the match and start what will become the build to a WrestleMania match between the two. So where does Eddie Guerrero fit in? Eddie Guerrero obviously won this match, the Royal, the mini Royal Rumble match, and he has the right to face Lesnar. But it leaves us wondering, is Goldberg going to be involved? Is this just going to be a throwaway match and we're going to get Goldberg and Lesnar for the title? There are a lot of unanswered questions here. We get a little bit of clarity because 
Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin on Raw gives Goldberg a ringside ticket and allows him the ability to actually attend this No Way Out show that's a SmackDown-only pay-per-view. So we know that Bill Goldberg's going to be there. And then during that time, Brock Lesnar and Eddie Guerrero's feud has a short time, but they get a lot accomplished in that week. There's a very famous uh, SmackDown episode at this time, right before the pay-per-view, where Lesnar commissions a legitimate mariachi band and comes out in a sombrero, dancing and acting very out of character, um, probably more animated than you'd ever seen him before. This seems like it'd be kind of a bad way to go home to a pay-per-view and build towards what you hope is an intense and legitimate match between Guerrero and Lesnar. And that's when the magic of Eddie Guerrero takes over. Eddie comes in and lays down an impassioned promo against Brock. Brock gets under Eddie's skin by saying that he's sick of people like Eddie trying to take things that hardworking people like Lesnar have worked for and that Eddie's an addict and he really just kind of rubs his nose and some of the past demons that he's had before and tries to leave it, leave it at that by saying that Eddie's going to get that Eddie's addicted to being a loser and he's going to get his fix at no way out. Well, Eddie really lets him have it here. Eddie gets choked up and he details a lot of his past transgressions. He even goes so far as to say that he let his entire race down. He let his family down, obviously his wife and his children, and he let himself down. But he fights through the tears. He chronicles how he fought back, and he acknowledges that, yes, he is an addict. But now he's addicted to the crowd. He's addicted to how it feels to get this, to uh, climb the ladder, to get back and in a stronger relationship with his family. And he looks at Brock Lesnar's WWE title as a symbol of the amends that he needs to make to everyone. So we thought maybe we just had a nice little comedy segment and Brock Lesnar was going to bury the smaller challenger that nobody thinks had a chance of winning. And Eddie comes out there and really turns this into something special. So here we are. It's February. We've got one more month until WrestleMania. You've got now what looks to be a credible challenger. Brock Lesnar's contract is rumored to be kind of up in the air and coming to an end at this point because he's burnt out. Goldberg's contract is definitely set to end. So there's a whole bunch of combustible elements here. And you got to wonder who's going to be able to win this match, especially when you consider where Eddie's been, the size difference, and just having no idea at this point in the WrestleMania booking where they're going. So this was a really special time and something that I looked forward to watching, and I hope you did too. Great, great recap and build as always. And one thing that we'll see is that this is the, as you mentioned, the height of Eddie Guerrero's popularity. It's really starting to peak here. You know, it doesn't necessarily peak here. It peaks at WrestleMania, you know, the the next pay-per-view, but it's, he's definitely on fire here. And with a, a California crowd, you know, mostly Hispanic there, you know, they're, they're going to be way behind Eddie and way against Brock, uh, especially after the mariachi piece thing that Brock pulled, which is still all time classic segment uh, on SmackDown. So we've got Michael Cole and Taz on commentary for this one. You know, I forgot about that commentary team, although I don't know how I could, but you know, we got them on commentary and in a rare turn of events, something you don't see very often or was a rarity then, the champ comes out first. Brock Lesnar is actually 
out first, and here comes the pain. Brock gets out there. He looks like he's leading up. You know, Brock, in, in, even the video packages look much bulkier, and you could see he was leaning up a little bit here, and you didn't know what that necessarily meant uh, at that time, but you could, there's definitely a noticeable difference between Brock prior, Brock then, and even the Brock that you saw the last time he was in the WWE. So they do an interesting tale of the tape beforehand, which I don't know if that was kind of a staple of SmackDown at the time, but it points out at least as far as build heights and weight goes that Eddie had a seven inch height disadvantage and a 75 pound weight disadvantage. Yeah, that was really great. And, and added to the story of the match as well. I mean, one thing that they, I I don't know if they did it just for that show or if they did it, but like for previous shows, but I remember just as I was reviewing, they had one for Kurt Angle and Big Show and John Cena, which was the match prior. And it was like career accomplishments for Kurt Angle, Olympic gold medalist and, you know, whatever champion. Big Show, all of his titles, career accomplishment for John Cena, PhD in Thugonomics. That was his career highlight in the triple threat match that he ultimately lost prior to this one. So Brock's out. He makes his way down to the ring. Uh, you don't hear a lot of boos. It feels pretty tepid. I think that was a little bit of the mix because once the match started, it was better. Uh, he hops on the ring apron. And, of course, as as he hits the ropes, the exploding comma fire, fireworks shoots off of the, uh, the, the ring post and around the ring. Um, so he gets that big entrance and gets in the ring. And he's not in the ring for very long before Viva La Raza hits. And Eddie Guerrero starts to make his way out in his trademark lowrider. One thing that was great about this lowrider was they actually had a camera inside looking at Eddie Guerrero, so you could see the elation on his face as he's uh, going through, as he's like riding to the ring, and he's bouncing the lowrider up and down, and he's really taking in the fans who, once again, did not sound as loud as they could be, but you, we knew that they were there. Yeah, I got to say that Eddie's entrance is almost haunting. Obviously, we know that he's going to leave us um, in 2005. But this, I mean, Eddie would stop and interact with the fans. I mean, almost every few steps. He was really, really soaking it in. And I'm with you. I expected the pop to be a little louder or a little sharper, but it was certainly sustained. He definitely brought a ton more energy than was there before. And Eddie gets in the ring. He, you know, takes it in on the turnbuckle, gets down. Then he decides to just do it again. And then lastly, before uh, the bell rings, Eddie raises his arms out to the side and he looks up to the heavens and it's just, man, I mean, it'll give you the chills. It was chilling. And as he does that loud, Eddie chants and the bell sounds more loud Eddie chants and Brock starts yelling at Eddie you ain't nothing you ain't nothing and so the match is underway and we start with about five minutes of Brock in control Brock uh, is over out overpowering Eddie Eddie keeps trying to be scrappy and, and runs at Brock and you know taking things personally keeps running at Brock Brock powers him down um, gets Brock gets Eddie in the corner numerous times we've got some suplexes, snap suplex, back body drop. Every now and then, Eddie gets some hope punches in, but Brock will continue to get control. Uh, and, you know, he keeps getting thrown from pillar to po- post, corner to corner. Uh, at one point in time, uh, 
Eddie does hit a back elbow and Brock just lets this big old loogie fly as he gets hit with the back elbow, like across the ring. But of course, Brock takes control again. He backs Eddie into the corner and he starts running at Eddie, which he did a couple of times. And this time Eddie gets his boots up and Eddie goes up to get a hurricane Rana on Brock and Brock seems it gets him up there and holds him. And it seems like he's, he's trying to figure out what to do. And he like, it looks like he accidentally drops Eddie down on his head. Like he almost like he did with Bob Holly this time, more of an accident than on purpose. And then he figures out like, I need to do something here while Eddie's sort of on the ground and he picks Eddie back up. He shakes his head. Uh, uh-uh, like he didn't just power bomb the guy and he starts spinning like not a full airplane. He's spinning in circles with Eddie in a power bomb position and then just sort of lets go and Eddie flies on his back. One of the more interesting ad libs I've seen in a long time. And I'm with you. I could not believe watching that. I'm like, holy shit, he's about to Bob Holly him again. And there's this moment where Eddie is lifting himself up almost to either, you know, get up because this is going to go into a power bomb or I'm going to hurricane around to him again, but I've got to do something. And they're just sitting there for a second. And it's like Brock has all the power. Now he can decide I'm going to break this guy's neck too. Or, yeah, I'm just going to spin around multiple times, which was definitely not what I thought was an available choice. Same. So Brock, of course, is back in control with that. Uh, Belly, belly suplexes, more corner power and brawling. Um, He hits the high jumping knee to Eddie in the corner, uh, and he's really in control here. One of the lines that Taz throws out there as Lesnar is suplexing Eddie, because Eddie is getting some serious height. I mean, the initial back body drop that he took early in the match is probably one of the highest throws I've ever seen with one of those moves. Brock is just all power. But Taz jumps in and he says, anything that flies that high should have music on it and a flight attendant. And I was cracking up the the commentary, at least certainly for the first, I don't know, third of the match. They were excited. They were into it and they were adding a lot to the match. So. Uh, towards the end of the segment, Brock is Brock is continuing to control Eddie, and Eddie will fight back, and Brock continues to just one-up him with some power and knee to the gut, whatever the case may be. Uh, he gets Eddie to the outside after a belly-to-belly suplex, and Eddie tries rolling back in. Brock pushes him back out. Eddie goes back up to get, to get in. Brock hits him with the knee and pushes him out. Uh, Eddie goes to get back in again, and this time... Uh, as Brock is coming to do something to him, Eddie hits him with those shoulders to the middle rope. Uh, and he ends up roping Brock on the top. So he pulls Brock's head down, necks him on the top rope there. So Brock's down in, in the ring in a sort of cool spot. Eddie from the outside to Brock, who's laying down in the ring, goes to grab Brock's legs. And Brock's a big dude, big, powerful guy. So Eddie is struggling and struggling to try and pull Brock towards the post. Everyone knows that he's trying to bring him to the post to wrap his leg around the post or do something like that. Brock knows it too. And it's Eddie Guerrero struggling from the powerful Brock Brock, who's sort of hurt from his neck getting there trying to fight. But eventually Eddie pulls, pulls his leg all the way through and slams his leg into the post. He slams his leg into the post again. And before the third time, Eddie rolls into the ring to break the 10 count because he doesn't want to get counted out. And then he rolls back out. And this time when he grabs Brock's leg, Brock is ready for him has his other leg on the post ready and pulls Eddie in with his foot and pulls Eddie face first in the post from the outside. 
there were such good little things in that spot. Not only like you mentioned that Eddie rolling in to break that count. So the entire time he's being admonished by Brian Hebner. He's being told, you know, get back in the ring. You don't need to be doing this. Obviously, that's going to play into Eddie's character at the time to lie, cheat and steal. He loves pushing the envelope and getting away with as much as he can. So Eddie is smiling ear to ear as Hebner's admonishing him. And so you sort of as the viewer looking at that, you're like, oh, look at Eddie go. So when Brock's going to yank his legs and post Eddie, which he does really hard, you don't see it coming. Because you think Eddie's in firm control, he's finally getting some momentum, and he's having a good time out there. And it's just that little stuff, because you know Eddie knows, obviously, I'm about to get reversed here. I'm about to get pulled into this post. But he's staying in character the whole time. He's having fun, even in a small transitional spot like this. And it added a lot to the match, because it came out of, that reversal came out of nowhere, and I just thought it was great. Yeah, those, those little things helped. And this was the first time that Brock gets his leg uh put has his leg put in danger which will play into the rest of the match so uh he, he has the leg worked over a little bit uh he posts eddie they get back in brock takes control again in another weird spot brock picks eddie up almost like he's either going to do a muscle buster or some sort of fisherman buster and just stands there with eddie on his shoulders but not like taunting or flaunting like hey my leg hurts or like look at the power i have he just stands there for a little bit and then he just sort of walks around and he goes, I guess I'm just going to fall backwards with Eddie on my shoulders. And he does that. I don't know if you remember, but that ended up being almost an exact replica of what would be Ryback's finisher, the shell shock later on. He would get somebody up for a fisherman buster, um, hold them up there and do those kind of like that marching around, just showing his power. Lesnar obviously held him up there a little bit longer, which I said, you know, I feel like looks more like when you're holding a vertical suplex for a long period of time and letting the blood rush to the head. So it was pretty cool, but I definitely thought it was neat because that's the first time I've ever seen that move um, that Ryback would eventually use as his finish. And Brock uncharacteristically, excuse me, characteristics in his character, ugh, in his character yelled something, but I didn't expect that he was going to yell, feed me more there, which he did. <laughs> then uh, it would have been a lot better if I got that out the first time, as opposed to stumbling over my own words. Anyways, Brock locks in at that point in time, a uh, sort of hooked, uh, he has his legs hooked around him uh, in a body triangle and gets a rear naked choke. Uh, and Eddie Guerrero gets out with a jawbreaker after a little bit of resting time. Uh, Eddie goes off the ropes. He gets put up in a, a gorilla press position and he slips out and then he clips Brock's leg again. And he goes back to do it a second time. And this time Brock meets him with a huge clothesline where about one gallon of sweat flies off of Brock Lesnar's body. We are at full sweaty Brock at this point in time, a little bit less after that clothesline. Brock then grabs him, grabs Eddie, hits a scary low German suplex. He didn't have Eddie very high up and it was, it looked like it was about to be bad news as they were going backwards, but Eddie let it landed perfectly fine on his back. And then Brock is back in control. Eventually he gets Eddie to the corner and he goes running for that jumping knee again that we saw in the talked about the CM Punk match. And that happened earlier in this match. And this time Eddie moves out of the way. And I swear Brock got so high. He barely hit the turnbuckle with his knee, had to grab the ropes. And when he went ass over tea kettle over the top rope, he did not touch the apron. He went over the top directly onto the floor it was a huge fall another like 
I forgot how many quote unquote Brock bumps he did in his younger days, but that was another Brock bump there for sure. I think that moment where Brock misses the knee is where the crowd and the announcers finally start to believe that Eddie might be able to get some momentum going. Lesnar is working very similarly. Like we talked about the CM Punk versus Lesnar match uh, nine years later, he's working that kind of sell on the run style. Like you're going to have to stay on him or he's not going to stay down. Anything Eddie tries to do, Brock is cutting him off maybe after a move or two. Brock is not letting Eddie sustain any offense whatsoever, and I don't know how I feel about it. You know, you need uh, – I'm sure old school workers would tell you you got to build the heat. you got to get the crowd ready for that comeback. Well, they keep giving you so many little snippets of hope spots where Eddie is scrappy and he fires back, but Brock will cut him off immediately. And it's like the crowd almost doesn't know what to do. And I feel like for this portion of the match and for a large portion of just the middle of the match, the crowd was kind of in a stunned silence. Like they didn't, they couldn't react to much for long because if Eddie would do anything, Brock would cut him off. And if Brock would start hitting some power moves, Eddie wouldn't stay down. So it's like they never had a chance to really get too involved or feel something build because these guys were just going tit for tat. Well, at this point, it was time for Eddie to take control. So there is a plancha over the top. Eddie hits a beautiful plancha on Brock on the outside. They both sort of sell it like they feel it, and they both roll in the ring at nine. And from here, we get a good section where Eddie starts working on the knee. He's kicking the knee, stomping the knee. He has STFs. He has some figure fours, all with Brock powering out. Um, there's there's chop blocks. There's uh, a side slam in there. At one point in time, uh, Brock gets off of the uh, – Eddie runs at Brock and Brock gets a little hot shot and clips Eddie's neck on the top rope. And then when Eddie's down, Brock goes to pick him up by the neck and starts talking trash for some reason. And then uh, Eddie just turns it into another STF. So STF, Brock breaks free. Figure four, very sloppy figure four. Uh, Brock powers out. He tries again. Brock powers out. He tries a third time. Brock powers out. And then he gets up and Brock hits a belly to belly as Goldberg chants start raining down uh, as there's a little bit of double down. Brock goes to get control again, float over suplex attempt into a tilt wall head scissors, then figure four going after the knees, back to the knees, back to an STF, and Brock makes it to the ropes. The crowd seemed to buy the STF a lot. They would pop anytime he locked on an STF, but they would not pop for the figure four nor would they pop for Eddie's lasso from El Paso that he had been finishing matches here and there with. Um, you know, it's, it's a very similar setup as far as grapevining the legs together, and it just ends up differently. It's also difficult for Eddie to pull off on a much larger man and Brock Lesnar. But I found it weird that it was like, you know, you didn't hear the woo chants. You didn't hear the crowd pop or get excited for him going for a figure four and continuing to damage that knee, which he had been working on pretty heavily. Um, but they did pop the STF. Yeah, that was weird, but, you know, hey, more power to the crowd for getting up for something. So after all these submission attempts and working working on the leg, uh, at one point Brock gets up and hits a desperation, quick grab, release German suplex. He follows that up with a heavy, heavy spine buster. Spine on the pine, um, Brock hits him with. And then he go. Brock himself says, now I'm going to put some holds on you. And he goes to a body scissors sort of chicken wing um, that that he puts on, on Eddie Guerrero. 
uh, Eddie's trying to power out. He Eddie gets to his knees. He tries to battle out, and then he runs Brock into the turnbuckle face first on another hard Brock bump, which ends up busting Brock open on the face. Eddie goes back up top, goes for a missile drop kick, but he misses. And then Brock hits a great suplex while selling the knee to Eddie. So he's still he's still selling Brock. He didn't sell his knee like it was death for all those holds that they had in, but he sells it enough to where he's the power guy. Or when he gets somebody up, it, it's gonna uh, gonna hurt. Um, as he comes up, as you get the first shot of that bloody nose from Brock, he's looking at Eddie and he starts what he did for the was he was yelling at him for the next couple of minutes of the submissions. Die, Eddie, just die. I think that the WWE edited that out of DVD releases, so I was surprised to still see it here. Like I said, I haven't watched this match in a long time, but they didn't clip any audio here. It's there in all its glory. He tells Eddie to die several times. He certainly does. And at one point in time, he grabs a weird reverse gut wrench that was probably one of the weakest submissions i've i've seen in a big match in a long time and they hold it he holds it forever but at one point the ref's checking on eddie and he goes he's dead <laughs> like just tell the ref to <laughs> this like this reverse gut wrench this sort of like back bear hug on the ground did anything to eddie so it's just plotting and plotting here not a lot of sense to it but he gets up and of course uh, he's got the gut wrench position. They get to their feet, so he hits Eddie with a gut wrench suplex. And then Lesnar, another weird choice. He starts doing these sort of weird. The only way I can describe it is German rolls. It's like they're doing alligator rolls, but as opposed to rolling on your side, they're like somersaulting backwards. So it's like a like into an, a reverse bear hug type position. And he gets Eddie for a couple of, a couple of two counts, but it was just weird. So as they stand up after these, once again, weird German suplex rolls, Eddie is going back with his head to do some head butts, head butts or head boots that miss completely. Um, but Brock still sells them. And then they turn around Eddie, Eddie hits some good solid head butts. Um, and goes back to working on Brock's knee a little bit. We get another great head scissors that Brock sells well, and then we get into the classic three amigos. And I was surprised that the three amigos did not get as big of a pop at this point. So I don't know if they were just not as over or maybe not as over with this crowd. They wanted to see the three STFs, but uh, you know he hits them, and he hits a solid three amigos. Yeah, You mentioned Goldberg chance sort of breaking out during the match here and there, maybe when there was a lull. I, I can only guess that maybe everyone knew that this was going to come to a head, even though Lesnar and Goldberg had already brawled and interacted earlier in the show. You knew Goldberg was going to be out, and it was like that's what they were anticipating. And so no matter what the guys did in the match, as far as what should have been a normal thing that the crowd anticipates or pops for, they were just looking forward to the end. Well, lucky for them, they were there. This We're starting to get the climax here. So Eddie pops up from the Three Amigos, does his chest shake, and gets the crowd into it. The, the Three Amigos didn't do it, but he gets them to pop hard for that. And he goes up for the frog splash. He, he has the beautiful flying, and he comes crashing down right on the mat, and he misses. So both men, they stagger up. 
and Brock grabs Eddie for the F5 and he hits it hard F5. Eddie goes flying, but as he is flying in the air, he takes out the ref with him as well. So Brock crawls over to Eddie and he gets the visual pin. He's on, he's on top. Of Eddie hasn't pinned, but the ref is out. The ref has, the ref is not awake. So Brock, he has a couple of choices. What can he do here? He doesn't go to wake up the ref and said, he's going to roll to the outside and get some help for this match. And he grabs his belt. So his championship belt, I should say, not just, you know, his pants belt, but he grabs the, uh, the title and he rolls into the ring. And as he's measuring up Eddie to start hit him to, to hit him out of nowhere, Goldberg comes flying in and hits a massive spear. So here was the Goldberg that the crowd was anticipating. The crowd goes nuts for Goldberg hitting this spear because they know they are about to see something special. So everyone is down. There's a great shot of Eddie down, Brock down, and the ref down, and the announcer is going nuts. There's a pause, a little bit of a pause, and then the crowd just starts chanting Eddie, Eddie, Eddie to try and get him riled up to get this pin. So Eddie slowly crawls over to Brock, slowly crawls over there. Crowd is hot in anticipation. He drapes his arm over Brock. The ref slowly crawls over and one, two, kick out. Brock kicks out of the spear and kicks out in the situation. So Eddie, being the man that lies, cheats, and steals, he sees the title and he goes to grab it. He sees that the ref is still down. So Brock gets up. Brock gets up super slowly, selling his knee. Eddie's yelling at him, come on, come on, come on. He's ready to hit him with the title. Uh, And he goes after, but he ducks and he lifts up Eddie for the F5. As Eddie goes up for the F5, he drops the belt on the ground, and he sees it with his eyes. And as he's about to come down and get slammed, he grabs Brock for a DDT and rams his head right on the title belt on the mat. I got to say, looking at that closer, it was obviously set up for Lesnar to hit the belt. Now, he does hit the belt, but from my vantage point, it looked like he hit it with his shoulder, and his head was pretty far off from it. I mean, it's a pretty tough ask to pull off a convoluted move like that and end up with your head landing flush on a title that's about the size of your head and that's it but taz is hating it he's pissed off he's yelling and he cheated he cheated with that move but you know eddie actually didn't because brock didn't hit it and you know there's been a lot more atrocious misses in that type of situation where somebody doesn't land where they should so i didn't think it was too bad and so eddie hits that ddt on the belt he he quickly goes to the top rope he hits a frog splash from about three-fourths of the way across from the ring. One, two, three. Eddie Guerrero is your new champion, and he celebrates with the fans for about three or four minutes to close out the show, uh, really making it like a, a super special moment and really building up that what it means for him to win this title. I got to say it was 100% magic as soon as that bell rang. One of the funniest things I saw, um, Eddie goes over and – embraces his family. We'll talk more about that in a second. But one of the best things he does is he sees somebody in the crowd waving that Mexican flag and he makes sure to get it. So Eddie celebrates with the Mexican flag. It's a great visual, but then he decides, well, I got to give this guy his flag back. Well, he just walks over to his brother Mondo and hands him the flag. Like Mondo has any clue whose flag this is and what he's going to do with it. I loved it. That was a fantastic moment in the middle of that because it's like celebrating you're on a high and then you're like uh uh okay and then you get rid of it and you're like all right i'm back on the high again all right that was eddie guerrero versus brock lesnar no way out 2004 so it's time to determine if 
In fact, it was a classic based on our guidelines and opinions. So, D, why don't you start us off with storytelling? Oh, man, I feel like we've got a hot debate on our hands here. Um, Watching this match back, I certainly enjoyed it. There's a whole lot of good that we're going to talk about. But to me, there are several large aspects of this match that are debatable. One of them being storytelling. What's the psychology of the match? Eddie Guerrero, career resurgence, coming back, battling his demons, way undersized. He's obviously the underdog. Brock Lesnar, the incumbent champion, been champion for many months. So they're going to work this classic David and Goliath style. And I feel like the announcers were all about this. The wrestlers were all about this. And to me, although they worked a very fun and crisp match, Eddie worked the leg in this match. He was scrappy. Every time he would get something going, Brock would cut him off. To me, it sort of killed the crowd. I didn't quite know where they were going. I felt like there were a few instances where they would sort of get off kilter and camouflage it very well. And everything was executed crisply. But what story were they really trying to tell? You got a really cool end result. We'll get into that. But the storytelling of the match itself, while not bad, I don't know, really sitting on the fence as far as giving that a thumbs up. I'm with you. I I was surprised in this rewatch about how much less storytelling there was than I remembered. You know, between and there were so many lulls in the match with the weird rest holds or just holds in general that they had that took away from the story. You know, Brock was, although he sold his knee okay, he was a little spotty on whether or not he would sell his knee and how much he sold it, especially with how much Eddie worked over it. Um, you know, the the end, the climax part was great, but that also took away from the story of the match because it ended up having nothing to do with anything that they were doing. Maybe the little bit that that made sense in there was that Brock slowly got up to his feet because of his legs. And so he ducked Eddie's title shot, but that would be like the only thing that really played into the finish of anything they did in the match building up to it. So from a, is it a classic standard? I mean, I'm, I'm thumbs in the middle leaning down. I have to agree. I mean, how weird is it in the way that they booked Eddie where his biggest hope spot was another man coming in and hitting Lesnar You also had Lesnar clearly having won the match already. He hit the F5. If Eddie's legs didn't accidentally hit the ref, this one's done. Um, Things were just a little odd. And so all of that legwork, like you said, really doesn't play into the finish. The finish is sort of on its own island. And for that, you know, if we have to be official here, I can't sit on the fence. I have to go thumbs down. All right. Well, I think we're we're both uh, we'll go both officially thumbs down there. So next is atmosphere. Uh, I think atmosphere was a thumbs up. I mean, I thought it was more. I thought it was thumbs in the middle leaning up. But if I had to go one way or the other, I'd give it a thumbs up. The crowd was there with the Eddie chance in the beginning. You know, they popped for the STFs. They did a good job of 
sticking with a match, even if it, even if it's in its down points, they made that finish feel super hot um, with what happened. I thought the commentary was good at points, but never detrimental in my opinion. And so, you know, uh, I, overall I'd say, I'd say that the atmosphere helped the match and didn't hurt it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, it wasn't this great atmosphere, but it wasn't bad per se. So I'm thumbs in the middle leading up. So I'd, I'd probably go thumbs up with this. This is the second in a row that I was sitting on the fence. Um, the crowd was certainly there. They were anticipating the match. The crowd was excited to see Eddie Guerrero, the commentators. I mean, let's talk about Taz and Cole for just a second. In the first five, six minutes of this match, they were probably some of the most spirited and just helpful, excellent commentators that I heard in quite some time. I forgot how much I really liked this team. So this is Michael Cole, pretty young, and they're doing a whole lot to add to this match. Unfortunately, we talked about a lot of the lulls and some of the way that the match was worked and the crowd some being somewhat tepid, the Goldberg chance just kind of breaking out, them anticipating something that was coming at the end, but it seemed like the air would get let out of this arena for a large portion of this match. Now, this is a pretty long match. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but I'm pretty sure we're over 30 minutes here. So there was a large portion of this match where the crowd energy was rather low. They weren't popping for things that we thought that they should. I'll give it to them. They were there at the beginning. It definitely had an aura about it. They were absolutely there at the end for an all-time moment. The commentary was great at the beginning and at the end. That lull, though, it really sticks in my crawl. I have to say that there's no way I'm going to give both of these categories a thumb down, thumbs down, but I was sitting on the fence for both. I'm with you. I'm leaning up on this one. So officially, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, but that wasn't easy to decide either. I think that part of the, the the way the match was laid out and the storytelling, which was a thumbs down is why the, the crowd wasn't there as much as they should have been. And so, I mean, we, we're still rating it on the overall, so everything works together, but I think that's where I give the benefit of the doubt to the crowd, you know, where I would say thumbs in the middle leaning up same thing with the commentators, because they did go through the lull and the weird gut wrench, you know, suplex and the, or um, rest hold and then all the submissions and the weird figure four that Eddie tried to put on that he, that he messed with, you know what I mean? So they made it through that stuff and we're still hot at the end. So I think we're in agreement there. What are your thoughts on execution? Nothing but good stuff. As far as execution, we did say that there might've been some miscommunications here and there, but they were so good at camouflaging those. There were so many slick transitions and moves that you saw in this match that you might not see, you know, for years, there was so much that an aspiring wrestler could pull from this match because it seemed unpredictable. You know, everything they were doing was crisp. They were laying their stuff in. They told a good story as far as making Eddie a believable challenger to such a large opponent in Brock Lesnar. Um, so it's hats off to them for that. It's hard to believe that Lesnar at this point in his career was only about a year and a half removed, you know, from the 2002 title win against the Rock at SummerSlam. That was his first real big, you know, light shining bright, Michael, moment for Lesnar. And he's not that far from that 
And you can see that he could hang with a world-class respected wrestler like Eddie Guerrero. And they did a great job in this match. I mean, the moves were great. Uh, the work, you know, was top notch. There's no doubt about that in my mind. I am not as high on it as you are. I mean, there was the weird power bomb thing. There was the fisherman buster that was sort of weird there. You know, there was the not really knowing what they were doing with the, with some of the submission pieces. So I thought there was enough in there that, that threw me off, you know, from a transition standpoint and from an execution standpoint, I don't, I didn't think it was terrible. I was more thumbs in the middle here. You know, some of the other stuff I'd play back to storytelling, like, you know, the gut wrench submission, which I keep going back to, you know, that type of stuff is more storytelling than execution because Brock was yelling at him to die and had it in. So it was still a part of the match and he still executed, I guess, well in the match. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm more thumbs in the middle, but I'm still leading up on it. So it'd be an official thumbs up. All right. Significance. I think this is where you and I may differ. Um, I, I'm actually, I'm on the fence, you know, I'm, I, I, my instinct is to go thumbs down because I grade this so hard. And at the end of the day, you know, I think, it's significant for Eddie because it was his, his first big title win and what he did with it the next month at WrestleMania 20. It was definitely significant in, in that sense, but um, I don't know. And it, it helped build to the, what was the Brock Goldberg sort of go away heat match at WrestleMania 20 as well. But uh, I, you know, Brock definitely did, did more and bigger in his career and Eddie had some some very memorable matches, so uh, I, I'm I'm on the fence because I I'm having to like I want I want it to be more significant. I feel like I'm wanting it to be more significant than it actually is. Um, I don't know. Help me out here. Yeah, you need to get off this fence here. This is not a significant match in Brock Lesnar's career, but this match lives on in wrestling lore and history forever. Obviously, because Eddie Guerrero won his first and only title, he would tragically pass away, you know, such a short time later. But the fact that Eddie Guerrero ever won a WWE title, much less against a challenger, I mean, against a champion like Brock Lesnar, this isn't supposed to happen. This isn't the WWE's MO. Eddie at this time is by far uh, the smallest WWE champion that there ever was. Um, there would be those that would come after him, but he laid the groundwork. Um, Eddie, it seemed that Vince McMahon, if you listen to Bruce Pritchard, always had a twinkle in his eye when he looked at Eddie Guerrero, even when they all, when the radicals all came over in 2000. And as a young fan, um, a little more into storylines, a little more into the pomp and circumstances and the larger than life superstars. Somebody like Eddie Guerrero with a mullet, you know, dazzling around in the mid card isn't really going to stand out to someone like me. And as I grew older and as Eddie Guerrero's career progressed, he did something truly special. And what he did had to culminate somewhere. And although I don't think that this was a classically worked or storytelling, you know, 101 match at all. Um, this, the moment that's produced here, I mean, there's a lot of intangibles. The, the, the commentary could have been off. 
his family might not have been able to make it there. The crowd might have been lukewarm about the title change, which they're usually not. But still, it could happen. The sparks that flew at the end there are something that no one can ever forget. And although the pieces don't fall where they need to for this to be an absolute, you know, stone cold, no debate about it, classic match, this is an absolute classic moment. Some of that because of the tragedy that came thereafter. But I don't see any way of arguing out of that, in my opinion, even though it may not have your normal pillars that make something seem significant. The way that this worked out, the way that life went and what this meant at the time and for the future of wrestling. Um, I think it's hard to argue that it wasn't a classic. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a significant moment in wrestling history. Well, you did it. You convinced me you're right. You know, next time, if you're going to do something like that, let me know so I can have you start the category off. So I don't look like a, a, a fool here. I know I don't look like a fool. It's, it's opinions, but you know, I think that's the explanation that I needed. And you're, you're exactly right with everything that you said. Uh, and. Well, remember, I tried to do that last week with DDP and Goldberg. And I was like, see, dude, this is why it's significant. And you were like, no, it's not. You're an idiot. So. No, no, there you go. One for two. That's not bad. (laughs) That's right. Okay. Well, um, you know, real quick, we gotta we gotta say at the end of the day, what's your quick word on classic or not? So here's the deal: when you ask me, were all the categories thumbs up? No, we need at least three out of four before we can even debate of whether or not this is a classic. So it does meet the basic criteria to be debated, but it's not a shoe in. Significance does not mean that it's automatically a classic. Even though significance is what we call the gatekeeper category and it does hold the most weight, just because we have three out of four and one of them is significance, it doesn't make it a shoe in. I hate to do this, but this match broke my heart watching it for the first time in a long time. It was not as good as I remember. I didn't get as caught up in the moment because we are now so many years removed from Guerrero's untimely death. This is an absolute classic moment, but I don't know if it's a classic match. And if you were going to ask me specifically, I don't, I'm not sure what my answer is. What say you? When you're, we may have had three out of four thumbs up, but we were on the fence for most of them. You know what I mean? So when you, when you've got, going back to what I was saying about significance, I think applies here that you can't want it more than the match actually gave it to you. Uh, and I don't think there's a great argument like you gave for significance for the match as a whole being a classic. So, uh, I think we're still over. So let's make it official Chad. In fact, I'll go first. Ask the question, brother. Daniel. Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero, No Way Out 2004. Is it a classic? I am shocked, shocked by the result of this, but by my criteria, this match, no, is not a classic. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. 
right. Another one that we had hoped for and another one that we could not pass through as a classic. Um, the title of this podcast soon is just going to be called Nope. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we can change that next week. Uh, Daniel, it is incumbent upon you to pick next week's week's match. So hit me with it. What is it going to be? All right. Let's try, let's try and turn the ship around. Who better? Who's better than Canyon? Than Mr. Classic himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. I want to go back to 1993 at Starcade, and I want us to watch Ric Flair versus Vader, and let's determine if that one's a classic. Maybe we can get one on the board here. Oh, man. Vader, Ric Flair, Starcade. That has some combustible elements in the making of a classic, but we're going to have to watch it and see and determine. Well, as always, everybody, thank you again for joining us on this episode of IYAK. Like, subscribe, rate, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets, tell everyone that you know about the podcast. Email us at isitaclassicpod at gmail.com. We are lonely. I'm just kidding. We have families, but the email address is lonely right now. We want you to fill our inbox. The first person that gives us a match requests a match for us to review. Uh, we will we will review it. That is my guarantee right now. No matter what Ooh. the match is, we will review the first match that hits that email inbox. We will review uh, on the episode uh, that we have set up next after it. So a little challenge out there to everybody. Uh, otherwise, I'm excited for next week. I'm excited for getting back together and, and getting another episode out to everybody. I'm excited for you listening. I'm excited for my friend Daniel. I'm just excited overall. And we will talk to everybody again next time.